strong companies, lasting partnerships, powerful events. Welcome to the Experience Builders Podcast. I, I would have questioned your commitment to this podcast for a variety of reasons, but now I can't. Uh, you are truly committed. I know that this show is releasing well after Hurricane Ian. Maybe it's the storm of the century. Who knows? But you're still recording. You've, you've released the employees. What's? Can you give us the live breaking news report uh, from on the ground? It is not a lot of fun to be to be in Florida. I'm I'm a, you know we're okay here in Orlando, but um, just this morning uh, we. You know, yesterday we brought my youngest daughter back from Tampa, where she goes to college. There were three hundred thousand people in Tampa that are have been evacuating today, wow. most of whom are coming to Orlando. Which, uh, shameless plug for the convention industry, we have one hundred thirty nine thousand hotel room nights available <laughs> on any given night, which also can uh, can can double as a hurricane getaway. Wow. So, um. Uh, the, the governor is telling us we're, we're expected to probably see the worst hurricane in a hundred years here. It is probably coming in uh, right around Tampa, Florida, and it's crossing straight across Orlando is best guess right now, right up uh, and out the other side of uh, Daytona. You know, whether, whether that hits Orlando or not, uh, it's, it's noteworthy to mention uh, storms about 300 miles wide. Wow. Florida is about 90 miles wide. So we're going to, I mean, we're going to get, it's going to get sloppy Goodness. here. So, but uh, we're, we're batting down and ready for whatever. Well, I, uh, I hope that you're safe and glad that the show goes on. Thank if you. this is the last recording we have of you, Chris, we need to make it a good one. Um, <laughs> yeah. I appreciate it. One of your uh, good friends on maybe your last recording, uh, Greg, welcome to the podcast. The final countdown. Yes. <laughs> the Happy final to be countdown. Here. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> now, we appreciate you joining us. I'm going to let Chris do the honors. Since you guys have had such a great relationship over the years, Chris, how would you describe Greg to our audience? You know, really excited to have him on the Experience Builders podcast. Um, so as you know, our you know, this is a podcast really about the business of events. So it features discussions really with people who work and live and, and breathe and, and are in service to the exhibitors and the corporate brands that do the events. Greg has been on uh, my side for uh, decades as a uh, running a, a tier one uh, exhibit house brand. But the last five or six years, he's been the uh, VP of business development for an experiential agency not one of the pretenders, not one of the Johnny come lately's, but actually these are folks that work on all kinds of events, non-trade show as well as trade show all over the globe. So his, uh, his experience is, I think, um, invaluable, but in particular to our audience that is, you know, pivoting to a lot of non-trade show uh, conferences and events for their clients. T t wealth of information. Super glad you're here, Greg. Thanks for thanks for participating. Hey, thanks for having me. Always always yeah. good to chat with Chris. So yeah, happy. Well, thanks. thanks for the invite. That's great. Uh, tell us about your agency. Yeah, so we've uh, I work for a firm called Event Strategy Group. Um, we were founded in 2000, and um, the the quick pitch is that we're experts in. Uh, design strategy and production for B2B events. 
uh, our our deepest um, kind of area of expertise is with technology brands. Um, we also work with some uh, financial and and fintech brands as well. Um, but you know, when anytime a brand is looking to interact with their customers, be they internal or external, um, that's really where we live. So it's been an interesting couple of years. I know um, hopefully we won't be too talking too much about uh, the pandemic, but um, uh, certainly the agility of an agency like ESG has been an asset over the past couple of years. Yeah. What has the past year been like as we've kind of been ramping back up? What does that look like for you? Well, I, it's really been trying to help our customers understand the best way to kind of get back into it. Mm -hmm. um, we are now, most of our client base is, is trying to get back in person. That looks a little bit different than it did pre-pandemic, both from an engagement standpoint, kind of what the engagements themselves look like, and also the numbers. You know, the reality is that that business travel is a lot more expensive. Um, certainly, the supply chain challenges have have been uh, something that our clients are dealing with. But uh, you know, a lot of enthusiasm to get back in person together. Um, uh, and, and when we're not doing that, you know, we still are doing quite a few uh, digital and virtual engagements. I think some of those programs are going to live in that medium, you know, in perpetuity. What we're not seeing, just as a, a quick overview, is is this 50-50 hybrid model where, you know, half of the audience is in person and half is online. It's a much more lopsided um, approach. And... You know, as we talk about our topic today, I think that's one of the things that informs our decisions around what type of opportunities we're pursuing. Yeah, you bring up a good point. And I'll go ahead and introduce our topic. We're talking about qualified opportunities, and that definitely can get muddied, especially as everything's ramping back up. People are eager to get back into the, the space and uh, get things going again. And there's a lot of new things happening at events, like you said, hybrid models. Um, as you know, Chris said that you'd be a great guy to bring on, Greg. I'd like to hear from you first on when you're looking for some of these, you know, at some of these opportunities that are out there, these new products that are coming your way. How do you know what's worthy of pursuing? Well, that's a that's a juicy question. There, <laughs> it's not really a, it's not really a soup question, is it? That's a <laughs> you know, I I don't want to. You'll have to stop me if I head down the, the, the path. I mean, the first thing I think we think of is who, who is the client? Who is the stakeholder? Um, and, you know, we're, we've been blessed with having longstanding client relationship with, relationships with brands that we want to continue to work with. So we certainly are, are servicing our um, existing clients. I think when we get new opportunities that are passing, you know, uh, across my desk or in through my inbox, it's a very different type of, of uh, decision analysis that goes into it. And, and it, it, it really falls into whether I think we can win or not. Uh, and, and what do you mean by win? Whether we can earn the business or not. Um, ah. There, you know, the, RFPs are kind of uh, uh, 
like it or not, they're how a lot of, of clients um, make decisions around procurement. So um, I could, that's probably another podcast to just give you my opinions on RFPs, but I think we're really looking at, can we win the business or not? And um, part of my job is to make those determinations. Um, and, you know, if we do believe we can win the job, then it then it's about also about execution. Can we do a good job? You know, what is that going to affect the rest of our uh, book of business? Um, is it something that makes sense either from a, you know, profit standpoint or from a long-term goal standpoint? Is it a brand that we want to do business with in the future? Or are we just bailing somebody out who might be, you know, in a bind? Um, certainly we want to help people out, but, you know, not at the, um, not if it adversely affects the rest of our business. So, but I think that that, that big question of just, can we win or not is the, is the big question that I think about um, and spend a lot of time, you know, uh, trying to determine. Yeah. And I think win definitely has, it's not just about winning the job. It's not just about chasing a sales number. We'll get into that in a bit, but there are several things that identify that qualify as a win or not. Right. Chris, I know that you're on the opposite side, not on the opposite side, but a different side of the business than yeah. Greg. Um, I'd love to get your perspective on this as well. You know, it's interesting. So we, when Greg was on our side of the business, when we started, you know, let's, I'll be kind and just say back in the day back in the and, uh, yes. you know, the, it really was a qualified opportunity was the bigger, more expensive, the spend was going to be the better the opportunity. Right. And we didn't back then, we didn't have a team of people. We didn't have engineers and designers and production people that, that had a voice in whether we pursued something or not. It really was up to the sales rep to decide, you know, how much time they committed to the pursuit of the opportunity. They were commission based and it was, it really was, I think, a simpler, um, a simpler project back then. Um, you know, Greg and I were laughing when we were prepping for this call last week. And I said, you know, remember the first company we both started at it, you, you there were two kinds of leads. There was the show book lead. So a trade show book that had all the exhibitors. And so the lead was, here's the book, you know, these people exhibit. And then there was, you know, the Glenn Gary leads. If you remember that, <laughs> you know, the, the Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. And that was the, you know, somebody paid money for that kind of an advertisement. And, and someone filled out a card and said, yes, I'm interested in an exhibit or a particular service. And you go, wow, these people, this was the golden lead. And now, um, when we, you know, from my vantage point, we check what we call all the, the, the ables, right? Is mm. it doable? Is it buildable? Is it deliverable? Is it profitable? Are we available to work on it? And is the customer non-negotiable on what they want us to? So all those ABLE words, right? And so, uh, but I think to Greg's point, now it's, um, there are so many things we have to ask ourselves to see if it's a good fit because, We've learned over time, um, you can really hurt yourself taking on the wrong type of a project. I think back then, right, ego drove a lot of what we went after. We wanted the wanted the big brand client. We wanted the bragging rights. And now I think uh, most of the listeners we have have figured out it's about um, uh, profitability. And, and by the way, I think most of them want to make a customer, not just make a sale. 
And so yeah. we're after the right fit with us. So I think those those are just a few of the things I think that that we're now looking at when we determine whether to pursue a project or not. Yeah. And, and in, from an agency perspective, you know, our resource is ours, it, it is the the quality of the talent of our team and the amount of time that they can spend on something. So there is a finite or should be <laughs> a finite um, set of resources that we have. And so, you know, part of this is to, to, to learn where to put those resources, both pre-sale in order to make sure that, you know, we're also maximizing those resources post-sale if we are in the business. Greg, can right. I ask you, cause to, to your, this is a great conversation. So there's now a couple of steps that happen internally before we even respond to the client about whether we're going to engage in, in the opportunity or not. What One we call the, the QE, the quick evaluation, and that's a quick check of what's the lead time, the complexity, what's our production capacity, what's our supplier's capacity, what's the calendar and busyness look like, all those things. If we pass that quick look, there's a deeper dive we take, what we call our go, no-go analysis, right? And that's when somebody from creative has to be involved on our team and engineering and project management and production and field ops and, you know, usually a financial person sitting in on the viability. And so we literally can spend hours and hours on the pregame of determining whether it's a qualified opportunity or not. So, um, you know, if I'm going to spend collectively 10, 15 uh, hours really determining, we, and we try to do that, by the way, within 24 hours of the request. So we want to yeah. say, yes, we think there's something here. But do you have something similar, Greg, that you guys do? We we do. Um, the perspective is a little bit different in that if we're pursuing an RFP or, or pitching potential new business, there's a huge investment that goes into developing that response or that pitch pre-sale. So we really have to be confident that this is something that is a good fit for our organization. Certainly all of those logistical criteria that you mentioned are um, critically important, but it's also, you know, I think in terms of things like who are our stakeholders, you know, how close to the decision maker are we? Is the budget allocated or is it speculated? And and these are things that stakeholders may or may not divulge, procurement may or may not divulge. But if you don't know those, then you could you could spend a tremendous amount of time, energy, money pursuing something that was never really going to happen. Or um, you may just be justifying a decision that may have already been made. Um, and, and I hate that. It, it, I'm just absolutely allergic to, to, to that process. So I'm very skeptical when we come into that, that qualifying process. I remember, you know, Chris, back in the day, we used to talk about this as well. When you're asking some of those qualifying questions, be it internally or externally, or in your case, it might be to 
somebody in your sales organization who you need to be, you, you want them to believe that they can win the opportunity. But when you're asking questions of a potential uh, a prospect, uh, even an existing client, and they don't answer your question, either they ignore your question or they they don't they answer a different question when I'm talking about budget allocation or decision making authority yeah. or what's the process for selecting a vendor. If they're not giving you a straight answer, then that's still an answer. And and you've got to factor that into know whether or not you can um whether you should be pursuing that business we so this that's a that's a great point and you know and you recognize the phrases i'm sure our listeners will um when when you say well you know how much budget have you allocated for the design and the build well we don't really have a budget but if we like it we'll go with it right and you go okay well that's not a good um there's a friend of ours, a couple friends of ours. I was talking with Mark Taylor at Apogee yep. recently, and he was reminding me of a, of a Jeff Meisner uh, from Sector 5. Shout out to Mark and Jeff. They used to have a point system when they qualified their opportunities. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if the client has a budget, it's plus five points. If the client has detailed show information, it's plus five points. If the client doesn't have a budget, right, then you subtract this. If the client... Um, um, you know, doesn't have a uh, design preferences or an objective about what they're trying to accomplish, and you take a few points off. So it was like something like it had to be at least 15 or 20 points to pursue. Otherwise, you let it go because you realized, you know, you have a high probability. And I thought that was kind of an interesting okay, they're trying way to, to introduce objectivity to, do that. to something that's quite subjective. Yes. And, and that's... Right. I have to check myself sometimes too, because you, you're like, oh, I feel really great about this. And why is that? Well, because they like me or I had a great rapport with the person, you know, <laughs> well, that's yeah. neat, but it may not have an impact on the actual decision. And unfortunately, coming in second just doesn't matter. You know, it's the old Ricky Bobby yeah. You're just the first loser. <laughs> it, it might soften the blow, but it has the no impact on your business whatsoever to be to come in second place. Yeah. Smaller, smaller trophy for you if you're second, but it doesn't come with a deal. You know, Greg admitted something to me when we were talking last week for this. He's been a client of mine in various companies for for some years. But I finally he finally said this out loud. He said, you know, part of what we do when we're qualifying opportunities we may choose to delegate risk. And I said, well, what does that mean? And he said, and Khalil, you know me, I'm, so we don't work directly with uh, brand side exhibitors. We only serve agencies and build shops. So we don't, you know, we don't get to delegate risk. We're the guys the risk is handed to. We're going to, so if Greg feels that he has a lower probability, he goes, well, send it to crew XP and have those guys quote it and do whatever. And, you know, when I finally, the shoe dropped the other day, I'm like, you son of a bitch, right? <laughs> by the way, this is by the way, this is a podcast, not TV. We're allowed yeah. to swear on podcasts, right? Yeah. I'm like, you sob. I so you, he goes, listen, you know, but I get it. The truth is, some people, the strategy is we're going to have somebody else spin their wheels and 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 do the yeah, that's a, the grind that's work a, on figuring first out. Of all, that's true. No matter what 
anybody <laughs> wants to say. It, it's absolutely true. That is an agency trick. And, and I've, yeah, yeah, I've sat absolutely. on both sides of that uh, for long periods of time. There, if you've got an outfit that will do the work for you, then you, there's less risk in you allowing them to waste their energy on something than, than you spending your own. You know, if you have great partnerships, I wouldn't do that. I would attempt to try not to do that, but right. you may not yeah. know if that's, if that's really what's happening to you. And we, we have to deal with the same thing too, with our stakeholders. We don't always know, particularly if it's a new relationship, what, what, what the situation with, is with the incumbent. And if we're there to just help them make a, you know, their incumbent, keep them honest. Um, so, and, and I've, I, there are times when I will just ask that question directly uh, in, in hopes that, you know, there would be some goodwill down the line if I'm able to kind of assist somebody, but um that's a classic agency model. By the way, there's never the goodwill. The, I, my experience is right, the goodwill doesn't true. come down the line. You know, you're not. It, you, you're, it usually right. doesn't happen. Yeah. So yeah, um, one of our one of our you know key values for the show is lasting partnerships, and I think in many respects, both from the agency down to some of the uh, you know exhibit builders, there has to be that lasting partnership. But even on that front end of you bring in new projects, when you have those lasting partnerships with an existing client it makes this qualification process so much easier uh, because you have, you know, the decision maker, you know what they're used to. They've, they've had that experience working with you where you can bypass a lot of these things. Cause you're like, Oh, that's so-and-so. Yeah. We can just skip down to like the, the, the nuts and bolts of the, of the project rather than having to do all the qualification, but you guys are right. Like with the qualification, you absolutely want to, you want to increase and maximize your conversion rate as high as possible because it, it sucks whenever you get an RFP that you've worked on for days, you've got multiple hands on it and you don't win. And it just, it feels like a waste of time. It's a, it's a big letdown. Um, well, and I mean, it can really hurt your trust with that brand that you were working with too. If you think of it, we're the agency of record for some of our clients. And thus, when an opportunity comes in, if, if that piece of work happens, we're going to do the work. There's a very high conversion rate, you know, in those situations. And you approach that right. differently than if, if you're not, and you're, and you do not know uh, whether you're going to be awarded that business. And that's really what the partnership is about. You know, when we're reaching out to Crew XP, they know that if we earn the business, they're going to do the work. Um, we're not in the business of shopping our, our vetted partners and, and suppliers because I just don't want to burn that goodwill when I need them, I need them to be there for me. And if if they never really are sure whether they're going to get the work or not, you know, I think that just damages the relationship. Um, but to be honest with you, that's that's not always the case with your supply chain, right? You know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with you know, with this, you know, avoiding all at all costs losing because of the the costs that are associated with time and 
waste and uh, energy and you know all the different things that are included how do you when is it that you recognize that you can't win what are the the red flags that'll that'll pop up I, i'll i'll it's a great question i, I i'll take a yeah, go ahead. at that. i mean i think that so i'll try to use some live examples of recent memory so a major company that we would love to be doing more business with uh sent over an rfp when we when we asked how many other agencies were involved the answer was 15 plus um <laughs> there was also not the opportunity to present to the decision makers um there was a ill-defined total scope of of the project and oftentimes there's really heavy-handed language in that basically the brand is in charge we can do whatever we want with your creative we can do whatever we want we can split it we can change it we can change all the rules you know just you start to get a feeling that this isn't a great opportunity for us to pursue because the probability just keeps shrinking as we move through those questions so in that case, we're just trying to lose early by not paying, you know, by not participating. And in that particular case, I told the brand exactly why we weren't participating, that I would love to be considered for future opportunities, but it just wasn't a, a fit for us. Um, that's really the, those types of, of things are what we're, we're looking at. I really believe strongly that being close to the decision maker or however the committee is making a decision is critically, critically important. If we can't influence that person, person's group process, then our chances dramatically decrease in, in earning that business. Yeah, you know, our and un, you know because we serve um, trade partners, right? Event strategy groups are the guys in the room. We're always just outside the room, so we have to get a comfort level of we're not going to have access usually to the to that decision maker. Um, but we trust our partner that if they get it, that we get it, and that's we that's an ideal partner for us. But you know, from um, you know, there's there's one or two legacy clients we still have from 20 years ago, or occasionally we are asked to participate as a member of a company, uh, uh, the, the exhibit house in the room. And, you know, it's really the signals from the buyer, Khalil, that you see. And I'll be kind in general when I say, when you can tell that they're unaware of the Emancipation Proclamation, that slavery has been abolished, and that they just expect you are going to be they're back in call boy. There's a lack of respect for the value proposition of what you may bring. There's unrealistic expectations. As Greg said, usually no direct access to the real decision measures. Nothing more frustrating than being in a room full of information gatherers or maybe decision influencers, but nobody's accountable for giving you a true buying signal. There, In a few words, there's a tremendous sense of urgency on their part, but I'll, I'll a lack of lead time and information on what we need to be amazing for them. Most of the time we can tell, I, I can tell whether that brief 
may be written by procurement or written by marketing. And oftentimes that has to do with creative and the role of creative in the decision-making process. So procurement entities generally don't like to talk about creative because it's not tangible, quantifiable, and it can't be negotiated. Um, marketing uh, decision makers are much more interested in strategy and creative. So that's a, it, it also, that's a nuance to that, to that decision-making as well. Well, so for us, it really comes down to, the, you know, in, in a, in a two general categories, we're delivering, you know, labor services and we're delivering, um, probably some sort of physical build or, 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 uh, or structure. So um, one thing we're going to look at is our best guess. Once we get as much information as we can, what's our best guess at what our actual cost is going to be. Um, and so that's one way that we we're, we're just going to check and measure our profitability. The, and the second is how many hours of labor is it going to take us to, um, to deliver how many is it is it 124 man hours in the shop to to pull prep and fabricate is it um it's going to be 86 man hours to install it at show site is it going to be um 58 hours uh to uh dismantle and repack it all uh for shipment back to its home base um is it is any of that happening on straight time or what's happening on overtime and so anyway so it's for us a lot of it is a math equation um, where it can get a little bit squirrely is once we're, once we're delivering, um, some of those things that we're using one of our collect local collective partners for, for example, you need a caterer to be part of this event that we're delivering, or they want a big balloon archway. And that's, you know, this is a partner we will deliver that for because they're asking us to be those guys. Is there, is there four site inspections that we have to do just to get it right? You ain't lived until you've done an, an, an event, an old school South Beach in a 1950s hotel, and you're sharing the hallways with the kitchen staff and the, right? How do you move stuff in and out? So anyway, we, we try and do all the due diligence we can to figure out what the actual I, I think our be. approach is, is completely different than, than that. From a profit perspective, or when you're really looking at costs and, and revenue, we think of it very differently. I mean, it, I think it's, we really do operate under the do, do the right thing for the customer and the money is going to work itself out. And in aggregate, that that's worked for the agency. Part of that has to do with the type of work that we're, that we're pursuing and that we're that we want to do, and then trusting our our team to be able to manage to those parameters. Can I ask, Greg? Do you have to also trust the customer that scope of work changes, and they're just they're going to be okay well, with whatever you build? You know, a lot of that is is negotiated, or we will talk about scope creep and how we're going to deal with that from a budget standpoint. I think where we where we'll walk away or where we'll become much more skeptical is when, you know, the expectation is at one level and the budget is just not. And, and a lot of that is a, a just experience with knowing you cannot deliver the, the product or service that the client wants 
at the budget figure that they're quoting. And I'm talking big, you know, not in the weeds. They're just saying we have X and and we think that should be 2X. That's where we, we're not going to, uh, we're going to be a lot more careful about pursuing those types of opportunities. We yeah. need to be in the same. What's that conversation like, Greg, with the, whenever that does happen, when a client comes in, or a you know, new customer with a project and their expectations are yeah. up here. But for that budget, it really yeah, is we well, have that. I think that we've, we're having these conversations a lot more frequently because of the cost of what's happened within our industry. You know, you take trucking, AV, the statistics on the things that it takes, the building blocks that it takes to execute events are everything is more expensive and not by a little bit, right? Yet... Um, I was at a conference last week and marketers, their budgets have not increased. Their expectations have not decreased, but the costs are all <laughs> more. So and the and there's digital and virtual elements they're adding without increasing the budget. A, also, there's still right? an education gap yeah. that really has to be made and and we will lean on statistics that we have from current projects that we're working on uh, to help educate them. But a lot of our uh, marketing stakeholders, even in the C-suite, are asking us to help advise accounting, finance, however that organization is structured on what's happening within our industry. So, um, because something's got to give, either their expectations need to be decreased the number of attendees needs to be decreased uh, if the budget is not going to track in line with what's happening with, with costs. Um, so all of that's kind of, it's a really messy equation right now. And it's it's very relevant because of the, just the radical spike in costs for a lot of the things that we provide. Do you find yeah. Greg, do you find, so I'm my, from my, from my vantage point, it seems like the brand side buyers are unaware. I was about to say unaware of what we've been through for two years. We near extinction event still deeply disrupted and wounded in the, in the supply chain, but based on the lead times and what they're asking, either they don't care or they're just not acknowledging. And I'm not sure they have to care, but they just don't seem to realize the state of what our, our, you know, our tribe, our community of fulfillment is. I think in there's right a now. growing awareness, particularly when you're able to marry the business with what people's personal experience is, right? So you, you take something like transportation costs. I mean, everybody felt that directly when you're filling your car up, right? right. So it was, that's an easier right. thing for people to understand you know, that that's when that cost changed and it changed radically, something's got to give. And because agencies kind of sit in between to some degree, we can't pass that or we can't absorb that cost increase. There's just not enough margin in the job for us to be able to absorb that. So I guess really, Khalil, to answer the question, it's when I'm walking away that people understand, oh, like 
maybe I really couldn't get what I wanted for the price point that I wanted. It, it's, it's not that we don't want to help you or work with your brand, but we're not donating to your budget by doing something for free or worst case, you know, yeah. at, at or below cost. That's just, there's rarely a business case where I think that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, a couple of good things there, you know, we already talked about the goodwill piece and there's so many people that are out there, you know, we're getting back into things. They're excited about this big brand approaching them with this project and we can bid it like at cost so that we have goodwill with them and then do it later. No way. Uh, can't, can't happen. But the other thing is like the, the, the listeners out there that are getting their costs increased across the board, the people that are increasing costs on you had no problem doing it. And you should have no problem doing it on your bids either. Because otherwise you're, you are running a nonprofit, you're going broke, you can go broke on the beach. Just go hang out, get a chair, take it easy and not have the stress of doing a project at a loss. Uh, there's just, there's just no reason for it. Uh, Greg, a couple of things that I want to ask you about whenever you are, uh, dealing with a situation where you've given an RFP and they say that they're going to go with somebody else and you realize how clearly it's apples to oranges, like what you're providing is far and away completely different from what this other agency is going to be out there. How do you manage that? What is your, what is your process for going through that with a client? You know, I start throwing things at my monitor and, uh, <laughs> um, I'm basically the Buffalo Bills <laughs> offensive coordinator the other night on, on, on Sunday night. Football. I'm, I'm yeah. hyper competitive. So I, I do believe that if it's, if it's at that point where the decision is getting made and that's when I realize how far apart we are, then I've probably fallen down somewhere along the line. Right. Um, yeah. But it, more often what happens is that somebody has given you information on how to pursue this opportunity that was wrong or different than what a competitor might be pursuing. And that often has to do with who they're talking to, you know, the hierarchy in the food chain. Um, but it, I, I'm trying to think, Chris, you, you, you would have to help me here. Like have how many times, particularly lately, I've changed somebody's mind after we've, you know, maybe not earned a piece of business that we thought we were going to. It's extraordinarily rare. You know, you want to get the feedback to understand yeah. what you could have done differently, but I mean, almost never do, are you changing anyone's mind. So I feel like it's really incumbent. Part of my role is to not get to the finish line and and not see it coming. You know, um, create. I will say, right. creative is is the one thing that can really push something one way or another that's completely subjective. But mm. for Chris's business, that that really shouldn't be, you, you know, weighted nearly as much. By the time it's hitting you, that piece of the work should be done. It's true. It, it by the again, 
part of our our mission lately is we want to be more in service to fewer partners and it's the trusted incredible folks that we know are in there doing like you said if you get it we get our shot at it so it becomes much more of an operational um you know uh uh rubik's cube for us to put it together in the right in the right way. And we usually can. And so it's why we do what we do with, okay, we're going to forward deploy into the two busiest, you know, event cities, a full shop in inventory, and we're going to sign our own labor contracts and we're going to have our own straight trucks so we can control local delivery. Right. And we're, um, while we have, um, designers, they typically are redesigners, not original designers. So if you give us a project and we have to we have to figure out how to way to engineer that, you know, at a lower cost. You know, we're going to do that with some of the pre-engineered things or the tricks or whatever we've learned. Or guess what? I've got 80 drop in place custom counters of all different shapes, sizes. Let's so so it's, you know, we're we're all in on being, you know, the fulfillment partner. But we're not involved in in in, a, in, a, in targeting and acquiring the customers. That's why we. That's what we lie on our partners on. It's why the word partner is not some cute semantic word. We do not, we have nothing to work on unless our agency and our, and our exhibit house partners come up with something. Cause we're just, we're not responding to the, the brands that call us directly. And they do, you know, they, they're the, Hey, we found you on Google and you know, we've got a show in nine days and we need you to build me a shopping mall. And my brother, my budget's $15,000. And you go, I think what, know, that's not us. I do want to mention so, um, yeah. just Sorry. something that happens consistently. You know, there are changes that happen from the strategy and and pitch to the actual execution. And they often have to do with things mm -hmm. like sponsors for a hosted event. We may be we may have designed around having 50 sponsors and we may only have. 40, that, that's going to have a direct impact on somebody like Chris or even our AV partners or there, it's not unusual at all for there to be changes that are client driven that we don't have direct control over. And, and that's why from our perspective, it really makes, it, or, or, the inverse of that happens too. We may have more sponsors than we thought we were going to have. And we're really leaning on our partners to make sure that they've got the inventory to scale up, up and deal yeah. with it. So I think yeah. we're, we are always looking for who is the right fit to partner with in a particular venue, city, geography, scope, um, and why when you when you've got those partners, you want to take care of them because you're all you're it's a very much a symbiotic relationship. If it's not, that's that's probably not the right fit for us. By the way, I totally. Steal, yeah. I know Khalil's thinking the same thing. Totally stealing the term scope creep that that is a uh, it, and but you, but you're 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 right about that need to go either up or down. And so we go in, we go into those relationships knowing what you said is true, Greg. And by the way, be, if you're, if you're in service to others, like we are, um, be humble about it. There's no, we're not entitled to all of event strategies, groups work. Those guys have to make the call who the, the best way to solve their client's problem. 
We want to make sure that we're as a tr- an attractive a partner in all the right ways that make sense for us that we can be. But if I'm not the guy that's building the traditional custom sculptures of the Greek gods that Greg needs at this particular event, uh, I'm going to help him. I'm going to help him find that person if I if if I can. But um, you might, you might um, just be the model I for why those. You come to Chris. Me. You know. I, you, you know what? You just stole my thunder. That's exactly where I was going with that. Yeah. Well, I think this has been such a valuable conversation, and it's one that needs to be had in more companies more regularly, of really understanding what a qualified opportunity is. If I had to give a quick recap of the episode, I'd say that the most important things are having the highest conversion rate by having the best qualified opportunities. Uh, I'd say that you cannot afford to go and bid a project at a loss and you have to make sure you're continuing to pass the increased costs that you're incurring onto your customers. Uh, and if not, you do have to walk away, like you said, Greg, and maybe they'll take you serious then. Um, and then you, you really do have to have good partnerships. It's, it's all about those partnerships and the best partners will also want you to win. They want to win, but they, you're, the best partners also want you to win. Um, so th- that's a kind of a quick recap for it, but I do, Chris, I want to give the listeners a, a takeaway for this episode. What's one thing that they can really actually go do today? You know, I think you can, um, first of all, recognize, um, qualifying an opportunity is, is no longer a one individual, uh, task. I think you have to, um, so if you haven't yet recognized the people, and that might be departments in your company that need to have a voice in the evaluation of an opportunity, whether it's a, it's the right one, it's a profitable one. And then I think if that, if you, once you understand that's the process, I think you, you need to develop a system within your own organization to, to quickly get their input, you know, the pre-con meeting or the go, no go meeting. Um, that's the first thing I, I can think of I, that you could start and do next week. Longer term, I think you have to think about how you train and coach up your people about a, what your offering is and what it isn't. Right. So you're not pretending to jump in there and what the right kind of customers look like and what the wrong kind of customers look like. And, uh, and cause we're all hiring new people right now. Right. So I think, you know, finding the right good fit projects is going to be key to doing those things I just mentioned. Yeah. Greg, anything that you've, you would recommend to people as they like think about their sales process, as they think about qualifying projects and opportunities, what recommendations do you have for them? Anything they can do, go do. I think if you think of your pipeline or your opportunity pipeline, there are, there are projects that you're, you're well positioned to win. There are, projects that you're poorly positioned to win. You want to identify those as quickly as possible. Lose those ones that you can't win as early in the process as you can so that you can focus on the ones that you have a good chance of, of winning and and not jeopardize those, those projects that you're well positioned to win. So you know, I kind of meant my mental image is I, I want to try to lose. If I'm going to lose, I'm going to tap out before I get in the ring. You know, um, I, I want a shot at it, a legit shot at it. And and that oftentimes is is harder than it than it sounds to uh, to to kind of make that decision. 
Yeah, for sure. Guys, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I think it's been a valuable thing for our audience. And I think that there's a wealth of knowledge that we can still gain from Greg. We'll have to have you back on the show. Uh, Greg, if if people want to connect with you, how can they reach out to you? Probably the best way is uh, just email me. Uh, I know this will probably be in the show notes, but gbeach at esg.us is the the best way to track me down Um, uh, or connect with me on LinkedIn. Happy to do it. Okay. Perfect. We'll link to both of those, your LinkedIn profile and the email in the show notes. And yeah, we'll have Sounds you back good. around soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks, okay. Greg. Well, thanks, thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. See you guys. Thanks for listening to the Experience Builders podcast. Check out our website in the show notes or visit crewxp.com to learn more.